Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Seb Stafford-Bloor of TIFO Football. Well, that transfer window resembled an overheated property market. Desperation led to inflation and gazumping came back into fashion. Strange then that perhaps the most significant deal was a free transfer to Barcelona of all places. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang cost £57 million, remember. So, John, has Mikel Arteta imposed his authority by taking what could be the defining gamble of his career? Do you know what, Mike? I think he has imposed authority. I think more than that, he's put his reputation on the line because it's definitely his call on the back of a Let's be honest, a rather elongated, spectacular fallout with his star striker, an ace goal-getter. I can understand some logic in it, because if you really, you know, at such odds with a player like that and think it's it's unhelpful to the mood and to try and what you're doing, then I think maybe find a solution. And they've done that. The, the free transfer bit looks, well, some bad economics from, from Arsenal, doesn't it? I mean, they paid £57 million for a player four years ago. In September 2020, they did Meza Ozil Part 2 under huge pressure from the fans. And let's not kid ourselves, it really was that. Rather than kind of allow another year to kick in with an option on his contract, they extended it and gave him £350,000 a week. And then in January 2022, after the fallout with the manager, they find themselves in, in this crazy situation, a hostage to fortune, where they have to waive the transfer fee with to, to stand any chance of getting the deal done for him to go to Barcelona. I thought it was a farcical day with, you know, Aubameyang turned up in Barcelona. Clearly, you know, Barcelona said, well, nothing to do with us. Yeah, right. But, you know, that's what they're sort of saying. Arsenal certainly didn't know he, he was coming and he went there, Peter O'Dem wingy style, to try and get a a transfer done and, and I guess ultimately he succeeded. But having said I can understand Arsenal's logic and, you know, wisdom on this, I could do more if they brought someone in. And the fact that their only deal was 
you know, a player who they immediately loaned back to Colorado Rapids, a defender, albeit. I just think leaves themselves potentially short. They've been shipping out players left, right and centre, either on loans or permanence chambers, you know, Mari, Kalazanac, count them all up, Maitland-Niles on loan. Been been shipping them out so spectacular fashion, you wonder whether Arsenal would have a five-a-side team, let alone sort of 11-a-side in, in, in sort of the Premier League. It has been utterly bizarre. And I think it's a huge gamble because if they have injuries or, or kind of, you know, any missing players... Then top four is is they can kiss it goodbye, and so I do think it's a huge risk on Arteta's part, and it is on Arteta in my view. I must say, sure. When you know, I think it's six players out, you know, none coming in. You know, John mentioned uh, Odin Wingy in that answer. Seb, was it a bit more like Alexis Sanchez, another symbol of you know pretty ruinous wages and declining motivation? I don't know. I mean, I, I always, I've always bracketed Sanchez slightly differently because Sanchez came from a different era of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal. I always thought that Aubameyang was a kind of a last throw of the dice, a last attempt to correct the club's trajectory before he left, a, a way of, I suppose, garnishing his legacy a little bit. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm with John, really, because I, I think I'd have understood it if there was a source of goals there. Also, I think a lot of Premier League clubs, whilst particularly in Arsenal's case, obviously, They've been able to defer quite a few Premier League games towards the end of the season. This is the morning after, isn't it? When you have to look through your wallet and find all the receipts because there's an awful lot of Premier League games to play. And if you go into that stretch with a a narrow squad, a squad that's short and has deficiencies in vital areas, you've got a problem. And I, the, the Arteta thing is interesting because you'd imagine that his future is tied to some kind of European qualification or material success at the end of the season. Certainly the perception of the fans. Now, if they miss out on the... I I, I find the Champions League incredibly unlikely, but if they were to miss out on the Europa League, for instance, and that's as a result of a, I don't know, a Martinelli injury, uh, a downturn in Lacazette form, then he's created this weird PR problem which was completely avoidable. I suppose the, the flip side to that is... Do you want to have a player who is so unhappy that he's training by himself and there would have been nothing more frustrating than an obvious source of goals who a manager refused to use? I think John referenced it before with the Meza Ozil situation. Arteta, Arteta isn't really for turning, is he? He's a strange character for someone that's new in, a, new in the profession, really. I know he was at Manchester City with uh, Pep Guardiola for a little bit, but this is, this is his reputation is incredibly pliable. His reputation is dependent on every little move in a way that someone who's been in the job for 10 years wouldn't be. And yeah, no better word than gamble. It's a very strange situation to voluntarily put yourself into, really, isn't it? Yeah. But no, Sanchez, Sanchez was different. Sanchez was a, Sanchez was very successful for a long time at Arsenal in a way that's probably been forgotten as a result of the way his career ended. Aubameyang, I don't know, Aubameyang, a wrong man at the wrong time, I think. And uh, although probably right man in the right place yesterday, but what about the broader significance of the window, John? You know, in my eyes, at least, I would put down Arsenal, Spurs and West Ham as principally the losers from the window because it seems to me that all three clubs have wasted an opportunity to you know, add momentum to their push for that final fourth place. Yeah, I, I'm torn on Spurs. Because I do like Bentancur as a player. They've obviously raided Paratici's former club, Juve, for a couple of players on interesting deals. But Bentancur really 
caught my eye. I, I, I think there's a Premier League pl ready player there. Let, let's see what, you know, Kula, as he's affectionately known as in, in Italy, does. Because, you know, clearly a couple of years ago, he was named as sort of Serie A's most exciting youngster. Ben Sanker, I think, is, is interesting. And Spurs here have done a lot of outgoings. And they've put a lot of faith and store in, in, in Antonio Conte. And why wouldn't you, in my eyes? I think he's an absolutely fantastic coach and, and manager. In terms of getting players out, and he clearly felt, well, this squad is bloated in certain areas that I don't want it to be, and it's unhelpful. And so basically, you know, whether that's kind of Ndombele, who frankly has been, an, you know, let's not kid ourselves, a bit of a disaster, frankly. Wonderful talent, amazing talent. And he's shown it only in glimpses, but a huge fee, massive wages. And the fact they've managed to, you know, kind of move him on in January is, is remarkable. You know, clearly... They've got you know similar things with Hill and Lascelles. So so Deli Ali. I mean Deli Ali. I just find you know that's the other one that amazes me because he's effectively gone to Everton on a free transfer, you know, and everything else are add-ons basically on based on number of games etc. Brilliant opportunity to Deli Ali. He was a special talent and still in my view to to kickstart his career and get going again. But Spurs have kind of managed the squad, streamlined it. And I I still think that of all the teams, because fourth place is up for grabs, I think that Spurs, with Conte at the helm, are my, are my choice. You know, United didn't do really anything of, of significance. So I I just feel as if, yeah, could they have done more Spurs? Did they want to do more? Certainly. They were definitely in for other players. Will Conte feel completely satisfied? Never. That's just the way he is. But I, I think Conte's their, their ace in the pack. He's the man that can decide top four. And I think I still think more than... I think it was almost refreshing that a, uh, you know we can still look to a manager among, amidst the crazy spending of the transfer window and say he could be the decisive factor. I think he's that good. Mm. What do you make of... Daniel Levy's role in all this, you know, we, we, we're used to him being hyped up as the sort of macho man of the transfer window, Seb. Yeah, when you look at it dispassionately, OK, they've ended up with a couple of surplus players from Fabio Paratici's former club, Juventus. They have moved out players, as John said there, you know, probably around about more than about £100 million worth of signings that really haven't worked out. But they've even endured the embarrassment of being rejected, you know, with the greatest respect, by Lewis striker Oli Tanner, a club you know well, probably too well sometimes. Um, <laughs> what's your view of it all? I think my view of Daniel Levy's role is this moment was always coming in terms of the clear out and in terms of, I suppose, how would you put it, the humility of having to allow players like Lothelso and, and Dombele to leave, albeit on a temporary basis, for cut price loan fees and with no obligation to buy. I think it was necessary. I think... I think a, a, a previous generation's Daniel Levy, previous era's Daniel Levy, would have blocked those moves on financial uh, grounds. So I'm encouraged. And the thing about the, you're, you're quite right. I think there have been disappointments in this window. Luis Diaz is very disappointing. And I suppose one way of spinning it, and I have seen it written that it's kind of a, um, a strike against Daniel Levy. Well, in reality, Daniel Levy is chairman of a club who are just not that attractive at the moment to players like Luis Diaz. If you try and sign... Luis Diaz on the 1st of January 
and Liverpool come in for him on the 29th, he's still going to Liverpool because it's just a better opportunity for that player at the moment. Same for Adama Traore. Like, you can't compete with... When a, club has, when, a, when a player has the opportunity to go back to the club of or, his club of origin in his home country, then you can't compete with that either. And I, 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 you know, I would be lying if I said there haven't been points of frustration if the fan part of me didn't want to kind of um, kick and scream a little bit at some of the business. But I think it's gone as well as it possibly could have done with all things considered. And I, my hope for Daniel Levy, and I, I, you know, this is kind of based on a statement he released not so long ago where he talked about how a lot of the club's energy had been distracted and focused, you know, over-focused on the stadium, on the commercial deals that came with it, on things like the NFL tie-up and the future of that agreement. It seems like whilst one of the, the problems in the past has been the employment of people like Fabio Paratici, that hasn't always come with a complete authority to do the job that they've been installed to do. That's been the outside impression. I don't know if that is, that's fair, but that's, that's how it seemed from the stands. But this time, this is a very Paratici-like rebuild. It doesn't look like a kind of um, a bit of surgery that Daniel Levy has done in any sense whatsoever, because previously Giovanni Lothelso was not leaving for anything less than what he, what he arrived for. Same for Ndombele. The Deli Ali move to Everton, which John talked about, absolutely, that's not a Daniel Levy deal. That's a, we need to change the chemistry in our first team because these players, for one reason or another, and it's, it, you know, they're not all bound by the same problem, but they all needed to go, all of them. And so that is the right decision. So the cold light of... Uh, now February morning, yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's as well as it could have. Po- it's gone as well as it possibly could have done. I think. Mm. You know, Liverpool and and um, Seb mentioned Luis Diaz there, John. That seemed to be a textbook signing in many ways, didn't it? No fuss, no chest beating on social media. You know, it's simply a club executing a long term strategy because you know this is this wasn't a whim, was it? This this was a long term plan which is brought forward by circumstance. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's a fascinating one, this one, isn't it? Because, you know, I must say I was writing at the start last week about Tottenham's interest in him. A couple of people said, look, you know, Liverpool, Man United, you know, seriously interested in this player as well. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know, you know, and it's just like <laughs> Liverpool just don't need to, just don't need to be involved in, in that chat, do they? I mean, they are super smart in getting their deals done, getting their business done. And they're to be admired, you know. I mean, I do think in the kind of the the sort of the Premier League dream age, you know, who who's who's got it down to a T in terms of manager, in terms of sporting director, in terms of you know talent ID, in terms of scouting, in terms of absolutely everything from top to bottom. I can really think of three clubs off the top of my head, which I think you know brilliant examples. Probably more, and probably being a bit unfair, but basically I just think of Man City, Brighton, who I think of all their worlds aligned, if you like, for what they are, and Liverpool. Liverpool are just phenomenal at basically getting deals done quietly, efficiently, effectively. Where I think that Des is really interesting is that what does this mean for the for the dream front trio? Uh, front trio, rather front three. You know, they've already signed Diego Jota who is obviously a very versatile player, can play sort of kind of attacking midfield or as part of the front three. Now their son Diaz, who again is is a phenomenally exciting player. Salah's, you know, contract issue has been 
long and running. And frankly, I, I did write a piece last week saying, I don't think you'll have it anywhere else as good. And I don't know who else could sign him, by the way. So, you know, is this Liverpool reining it back in and saying, you know, to stay ahead of the vast majority, do we need to change the front three to get to find an extra gear? You begin to wonder because Diaz is will not be coming to be, you know, sitting on the bench kind of being back up. There's no chance. What does that mean? Firmino is often, you know, the obvious one that sort of people talk about making weight. Firmino's worth his weight in gold. Mane, fabulous. Well, and I just think it freshens it up, keeps it interesting, keeps the competition alive. I think it's a fabulous piece of business and huge excitement. And, you know, from a week ago when Liverpool fans were sort of kind of baying for blood and saying they're not doing anything, this is crazy. They've only gone and pulled off the, the biggest deal of the window, arguably the most exciting. You know, what's, you know what's really interesting about that is it's ruthless because those three contracts or those, those, three, those front three players are all expiring next summer. 2023 and you can imagine another club in another situation thinking listen after all of the after everything that Salah and Mane and Firmino have achieved let's not let's not bruise the egos too much let's not make let's let's not reveal our succession plan whereas here like Luis Diaz you cross his right Luis Diaz is going to play because you don't you don't buy a player like that when he's 25 just to sit him on the bench for a couple of years and wait and see. He's going to play. And so you, you have a situation where, okay, those, those contracts have to be renewed. But if the players don't want to renew them in the way that Liverpool want them renewed, okay then, because you've got the players there to to move on. And I think there's that kind of behind the kind of the cuddly image of Jurgen Klopp and the kind of the um, very much the player coach. This is a a player's coach even, this is a very business-first decision. And it's a very, very smart one as well. Yeah, and looking forward, you know, look at the, the ages of the squad, John. Kelleher, Alexander-Arnold, Simicass, Canate, Gomez, Morton, Elliot, Jones, Yotta, and, of course, Diaz. They're all under 26. So this is a squad being built to last, isn't it? It is, and I like the way that subtly but carefully they've refreshed it. And, you know, from a position where you had slightly ageing midfield and maybe other areas where the players were pushing on, now you've got that youth and excitement to balance out the, the very necessary experienced players and the experienced older heads to bring a lovely kind of mix to that, that squad where you've got the older leaders in the, in the team and I, I I just you know they've looked at the Premier League haven't they and basically said what can we do to kind of get tighter to and push Man City I just full of admiration for what they've what they've done there it's one player I guess and we're talking about kind of one player but equally it just feels as if with that signing they've changed the dynamic a bit yeah shaking it up and said okay let's do it I I I do think that it sounds crazy, but because the, the you know the front three are always so reliable and prolific goals from midfield is a bit of an issue from for, for Liverpool, isn't it? Goal scorers from midfield, and that is the one area I think that you know maybe they would like to address in the summer. But otherwise than that, I think the squad has sort of kind of kicked on again, and I think it's this sort of kind of exciting, exciting blend, and I think it will keep. How long does Jurgen Klopp, I mean, he's so intense. How long does he stay at Liverpool? How long does he sort of kind of, you know, stay before he thinks he needs a kind of sabbatical, basically? 
I think he, he stays a lot longer when he's got a really exciting young group of vibrant players to keep him interested, keep him focused and driven. Isn't that the, the, the sort of hidden significance of that move, uh, which actually collapsed late last night, to, to get Fabio Cavaglio in from, from Fulham? You know, there's a heck of a player there, isn't there, Seb? And, you know, one, do you expect them to, to sort it all out in the coming months? And secondly, you know, if we're looking at midfield, would you expect to move also for Jude Bellingham? Because everyone's going to be in for him in the summer, aren't they? I mean, you can make an argument for it on the basis of talent and because Jude Bellingham is English, but I don't see that the need really, like beyond just he is a very, very good player who is going to be outstanding for the next decade because we've already touched on it. Look at the resources that exist in that midfield. Add Carvalho to that, which you're right, I fully expect that to happen before the end of the season. There's no chance he signs a new contract at Fulham, so I'd imagine that's kind of done in all but name. Bellingham, I don't know. I mean, I I think we we've, we've talked about we've, we've talked about kind of this phenomenon in reference to Jaden Sancho in the past, but the rush for players to leave situations which suit them baffles me sometimes. It's like a I I, I still didn't really I still didn't really understand why Jaden Sancho had to leave Borussia Dortmund so early. Like he he had a good situation with a he had a partnership with a world class centre forward. He was playing alongside some super players like Julian Brandt, Marco Royce. And it was to trade it away for an opportunity to to come and exist in an entirely different environment, in a different situation with a completely different tone of scrutiny. Now, Jude Bellingham, if Jude Bellingham moves clubs, it's going to be for an absolutely enormous fee. Does he need that at this stage of his career? I don't think so. Also, do, do Liverpool need to spend that kind of money on a player who would come in and then have to adapt to that new environment? The idea that, OK, at the moment... Uh, the people with opinions on Jude Bellingham, first of all, it's uh, unanimously positive. Secondly, that's um, confined to people that regularly watch the Bundesliga or you know who drop in and out of Champions League coverage. If Jude Bellingham moves to Liverpool for 80, 90, 100 million pounds, everybody in the world has an opinion about Jude Bellingham and how he's playing, how he fits in, whether he's worth his money, whether he's worth his wages. It's different. And I know that there's a very uh, strong-minded character, very confident young man there, very likeable guy in a lot of ways, but you don't know how a player's going to adapt to that until he's in that scenario. And it's a it's a risk, Mike, it's a risk. And it's, um, if you're Liverpool, do you need to take that risk? I'd say no at the moment. Can I, can I just say, I, 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 you know, I totally agree with Seb on, on Jude Bellingham. And I think the other thing that we sort of overlook on that, I mean, he's an unbelievable player and I, yeah. I just love him, you know. I mean, you know, often rave about him on, on Twitter and I know bore people senseless, but I just <laughs> I do think that come with the World Cup in December, I just think he will be, you know, if he's not in the England midfield, there should be a national inquiry, frankly. But also, I just don't see why Dortmund would sell Haaland and Bellingham in the same summer. This is Borussia Dortmund we're talking about. I know people, you know, rather like Seb, I get a bit annoyed or frustrated with the sort of kind of patronising view of the Bundesliga, frankly. They're a monster club to sell their brightest two young superstars in the same window. Just don't see it. Just do not see it. Maybe the summer after, but I think that Haaland will move, but I don't I don't see it for Bellingham. And why? And Seb's right. Why on earth would he? He's doing brilliantly. And his progression is outstanding Where just where he is. Mm. You know, we, we've mentioned earlier on that, that 
we admire the way that Manchester City do their business. Seb, uh, Julian Alvarez, you know, he's going to stay on loan at River Plate until July at least, 16 million. He looks the sort of play, you know, there are, you know, the the inevitable links or the new Aguero and all that sort of stuff. But is this a is this a club just putting another player in the in in the pantry as it were you know storing them up for later no i don't think so i also i would say uh, new saviola rather than new aguero we were we, we did a little bit of work on him at tifa football a couple of years ago when he was a very very young player and saviola i mean i, I suppose if you updated saviola to be a kind of a modern player rather than when he broke through he has that sort mm. of same shooting style same running def- the style of running at a defender but he's going to be an excellent player. I think the temptation is to see the initial loan as a kind of, well, we bought him for later, you know, it's one to put in the oven and, you know, heat up at some point. No, I think he'll be a, a really, really good Manchester City player before much longer. He should stay at River Plate for the rest of the season because why not? Uh, he's in the middle of an excellent season as well, it should be said. And I, I also, from a... I suppose if you were, it's very, very hard to put yourself in the mind of a South American footballer who's never played outside of Argentina. But would you want to come and adapt to the UK at the moment in the middle of a season when you don't have the time and there are still a few sort of restrictions knocking about? I'd say it makes sense from a kind of human perspective to keep him there. But no, no, make no mistake, he's going to be an outstanding player. And if, I, I'm actually, Mike, I tell you, I, I'm a little bit surprised at how low the fee was. I think that's a cracking negotiation from Manchester City. I don't know. I don't have first-hand knowledge of Rivers' financial situation, but um, that is a very small investment for a player that's going to be um, in around in and around. Sorry, I can't believe I've used that. <laughs> he's going to be he's going to be about the Champions League for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. um, John, you know the richest club in the world, or so we're told, Newcastle. I think it's ninety-one million pounds they spent in the window. Five signings. Was that Trolley Dash successful, do you think? Mm, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, really. Blimey, I did read, I did read my, my wonderful colleague, our North East man, Simon Bird's comment piece in the paper this morning, and he was saying £91 million spent, which equals, you know, Mike Ashley's, what, previous however many windows, six or eight windows, I think. I think it was 14, wasn't it? Was <laughs> yeah, like possibly, yeah, sorry, I did my disservice. It's still not enough, effectively. And, look, I see where he's coming from, but I do feel as if they, they probably haven't done the business that they wanted to, i.e. perhaps maybe a another top-quality centre-half. I like Dan Byrne. I think, you know, where are they going to play Dan Byrne, by the way? You know, he's so adept at left-back for Brighton, but clearly I think he also enjoys playing centre-half as well. Trippier early in the window, as you know, would... We, we we know about Bruno Camares is clearly the eye catching one, and I have to say that the the only thing and I I listen I do I've listened to all the you know European football experts on it maybe Seb's got a, you know view on it as well. A lot of clubs have looked at Bruno Camares. That's that's the issue for me. Now he's available at around thirty five million. Why haven't the top six gone for him? And that 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 is the only sound of caution on that one. We can't be foolish here because if Bruno Gomes clearly is is going to get a great contract and a great sort of deal at Newcastle, of course. But I think we'd be foolish and not rather naive to think that other clubs couldn't have gone for him. Why haven't they gone for him? 
And I just think, you know, I just think there's been a bit... I, he might Listen, he might prove to be a superstar. And then, you know, other clubs are going, oh, blimey, we should have done that. But I just think that I, wa I wonder, you know, how that one will pan out. Be really interesting sort of point in time. But I feel as if, I feel as if, you know, Newcastle probably come out of it thinking, mm, yeah, we've done a lot. We maybe should have done more, could have done more in better areas. Have they done enough to survive? Yes, I think they have. Oh, just jump in on Gamerish because I, I think John raised a really interesting, valid point there because outstanding player, like to me, like one of the best one-on-one -on -one tacklers in Liga, super with the ball as well. Like he's a really genuine two-way player and I, I think he's good enough to keep Newcastle up by himself. I wonder whether this has the kind of the, the question about other clubs' interests. I wonder whether that's a, a little bit about Leon and the difficulty in negotiating with Jean-Michel Aulas, the club president, mm. because if you have a summer to do that, you can deal with his kind of idiosyncrasies and his foibles and his back and forward with negotiation. And I think Newcastle might have been uniquely placed to just deal with that and pay the money because that's what they've done. I think Comeris is a super player, but they've just paid the fee, basically. I wonder whether... I, I think they've probably done enough to stay up, but I wonder whether, given their time again, Newcastle might have prioritised the appointment of a sporting director properly before mm. the window because it's OK... Gamerish saves it, I think. I'm not hugely impressed by the other bits that they've done. And for instance, I um, I, I think Burnley have replaced Chris Wood with a better player in Val Vikhorst for a lot less money. I know there's some issues with um, Vikhorst's uh, vaccination status and that probably complicates issues. But I think they've, they've taken what's available rather than used any real nous in the market. And I, I, I wonder whether the next step before we start dealing with who else has to come in in the summer is, right, who's in charge of this? Because there's been a lot of noise. There's been a lot of talk. As you get, when, when, whenever a club is taken over, there always seems to be a lot of people with not just agendas, but a lot of voices in the conversation, a lot of people that seem vaguely connected to the situation, and that's been Newcastle. I mean, how many players have, have been on the verge of moving? How many players have um, been contacted? They were literally at one point in the market going through centre-halves and getting knocked back, getting knocked back, getting knocked back, and quickly moving on to, the other, uh, to, to another target, which is hardly suggestive of a lot of due diligence. So they've gone from Sven Botman, Diogo Colos, to uh, Dan Byrne. It's quite a strange progression. And that's not, it's one of the things that they're sort of, it's it's unique to their situation because they're in a hurry. They've got a lot of pressure. I understand that. It's just that the sporting director is super important when there's a lot of money in play and they didn't really do that. I know they've had a couple of people doing sort of the job on a temporary basis, but it's not really the same. And I feel like Newcastle's transfer is a little bit the product of that. Good that they spend money. I understand it from a sports perspective. Don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, not quite what it was built to be. Yeah, I think doubts still persist in, in certain areas of operation up there. But John, let's look at Everton, you know, who had probably the you know the traditional manic Monday, didn't they? They, <laughs> they appointed or finally confirmed the appointment of Frank Lampard, who then went out and got Donny Van der Beek and Deli Alley. With Frank Lampard, do you feel the right man, right place, or are there doubts to be dispelled? Um. Yeah, it's probably doubts, but I, I actually feel far more positive about it than, than than negative. I think that it's interesting, isn't it? Because people do rewrite history, I think, a little bit on Lampard. And I've always been sort of pro-Lampard and I remain so, really, because I think he did a good job at Derby. I think that, you know, he got them to the playoffs. Yes, they didn't go up. 
then he took over a Chelsea team where he's obviously a, a, a club legend. And, you know, he, he inherited a team that had just lost their star player in Eden Hazard and then basically also had to combat a transfer ban. And you did have people thinking, oh, blimey, this might be a struggle, you know, to kind of even, even stay up. I remember people were even saying, you know, I wonder whether they could get dragged into it. I mean, you know, and then he put, you know, we should really name and shame those and people, Crossy. It's amazing, that? isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I must say, you know, actually, some wag, you know, I was sort of saying people were, you know, predicting mid-table for him, and someone did find a clip. I, I, I like to think it was from the summer. I'm sure they wouldn't be that disingenuous. Where I actually tipped them for top four, and and top four is where they duly finished. And I do think that that was a remarkable achievement to get a team under that. Uh, under those circumstances, into into the top four was really quite some going. Also, bring through the likes of Mason Mount, Reese James. Would Mason Mount be the player that he is today without Frank Lampard and that opportunity? No, I really don't think he. I think he's a brilliant talent, and he might have come through a little bit later on and or gone somewhere else and shone. But I just think that that's a huge feather in Lampard's cap, and I think that Lampard. It's clearly, you know, been in for other jobs, not got them. But I think that it was, you know, it's pretty brutal. It's pretty Chelsea when they sacked him. And I think he's, you know, a year on, you know, just a week on, you know, f- f- from a year from being sacked from Chelsea, I think he's probably done his, the right thing to bide his time and, and, and takes over a club with so much potential, with so much improvement to do. I do like the first two bits of business. Deli Alley is surely a man on a mission to prove a few people wrong because he's great talent. I love Van der Beek and I think he's such a good player. I think the, the issue is with Man United, I don't think they ever found the best place to play him and never quite understood his abilities, which says more about the coach than the player for me. And I think that he's got, you know, he's got ter- tremendous abilities and, and Everton's strength is their midfield now. Injury doubts about Decore. Hopefully he can get the best out of Allen again. And I think there's a team, you know, I think there's a proper team there. Mm, yeah, I, I think your know, managers always talk about how important it is to self-educate when they've got their time off. And, you know, knowing Frank Lampard, I'm sure that's what he did. With Seb, look, you know, looking at that, those two signings in particular, I agree with John about van der Beek. I just couldn't see why he didn't get more of a chance at Manchester United. With Deli Alley, would you play him, you know, further forward, maybe, you know, just off or around, in and about maybe, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I'd almost give him, not quite a free role, but what I'd say to him is your reference point for everything you do on the pitch is Calvert-Lewin and to a lesser extent, Richarlison and whoever is playing on the other side. Because if you look back at what worked for him at Spurs, invariably, if you go through his highlights and if you go through Spurs' best moments during that era, it involves situations where Ali is either moving into space, which has been vacated by someone like Harry Kane, combining in a more literal way with Harry Kane or just taking his cues from other players. What I don't think Dele Ali deals that well with is overly structured systems. Not because he can't do it, I just don't think it suits the sort of player he is. He is an ad-libber, he is a player that wants to react to what he sees. I also think one of the misconceptions about him is being, well, he's not a central midfielder. He's never been. He, he can do a passable job as that kind of shuttler a sort of vague number eight role it's not what he does well it just takes too much out of him it takes away the devilment in his creation and his um you know his ability to change games but also i 
no doubt there are there are more than there are there are more than just a few factors in his decline but i think you have to be fair and you have to look at tottenham's own disintegration around him like when he came into that side and when he developed into a, an england international he had two world class fullbacks outside of him a brilliant set of center halves a midfield as good as there was in the premier league if you think about like musa dembele was a midfield by himself he also had the security of someone like eric dyer back there later victor wanyama kane at his very best you are able to accommodate this free role there. You're able just to say to Daly Ali, you go and change games. Doesn't matter if you're anonymous for 80 minutes, just go and change the game. And that's what he's good at. So if Frank Lampard can recreate that, and I think he might be able to, look at the sort of look at the signings Everton have made at fullback. They're both very, very promising players. Crossley's right to reference some of those midfielders. I'd add Andre Gomez in there. There is talent at Everton. I think Calvert-Lewin's a brilliant centre-forward, potentially. I think it, under Ancelotti, he briefly was before he got injured. Richarlison's a super player. Damari Gray has been, despite Everton's struggles, one of the signings of the uh, of the summer. Like You can see a road back there. Not to say that things about Deli Ali's own game have to change and he has to recondition himself a little bit. I understand that. But he is in a situation... He's left a situation where he was never going to succeed, where the role that he needed to play just didn't exist anymore. And he's found one where it does. And I, I, I yeah, I'm hopeful. And I, yeah, I think a lot of Tottenham fans would say the same thing. I, I you know, wish him nothing but the best because he's attached to so many great moments at Spurs. I had great fun watching Dali Ali. Nice guy, good player, can be a great one. And I, I hope, hopefully he is again. Yeah. What do you make of West Ham, John? You know, there were bids, in inverted commas anyway, for Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, which, you know, had the look of showboating, to be honest. Tried for a couple of players, Zabata at Atalanta, Nunes at Benfica. But but frankly, you know, they had a poor window, didn't they? Yeah, I do worry a little bit about West Ham and sort of kind of, you know, the still in the, obviously, the, the FA Cup and they've got the European campaign. Albeit, you know, they miss they miss one round for topping their group, but I think it's going to be a big ask. I mean, before the mini winter break, David Moyes was was already understandably and quite rightly sort of pointing towards fatigue, and you know the pressure on the players, rearrange fixtures, not being fair on them, which I actually think he had a very valid point actually, and I, I just wonder a, a squad that's already stretched. Surely it needed bolstering, really, because the problem is when when you do as well as David Moyes has done, you're, you're always going to be judged on your previous success, i.e. last season, getting them into Europe, having this European run, you know, getting some really good wins this season and having some good moments. And I just feel as if this squad is looking a little bit stretched in some areas. I mean, there's no more so than, than in attack. They've got players to support you know, Antonio, but have they got the right backup? Oh, I was a bit, the centre-half was, was another sort of kind of shout, simply because the, they've got plenty of centre-halves, but have they got, you know, they've got a few out now through injury, and so have they got enough backup there? And it's just, there's a few, there's a few nagging doubts there. And don't get me wrong, they can still push through European place, but you'd have to say, I think the odds are going to be against them for nicking fourth which I think with a kind of couple of morale-boosting massive signings, but signings might just have given the others a kind of something more to worry about as well. Yeah, when looking at, you know, John mentioned the FA Cup, and we'll, we'll look at that very briefly a little bit later, but, you know, there is a Premier League game on Saturday, Burnley at home to Watford, which 
you know, has the the look of a must-win type of game. You you mentioned um, uh, Weghorst earlier, Seb. Six foot six, 70 goals, I think, in 144 games for Wolfsburg. He's the identikit Sean Dyche signing, isn't he? Yeah, he's like a he's like a he's like a warrior from the Bible. He's <laughs> he's an absolute unit. He, um, I, I suppose, the knock on him in Germany. Wolfsburg have had a really bad season, and they've cycled through two coaches. They might be about to go on to a third, and clearly, in his late twenties, they, they felt it was time to get rid of Vekos. The only weakness in his game is a lack of pace. He's not that mobile, but he's a good finisher. He is as physical as you'd imagine that he would be. I just think he's perfect for Burnley. I mean, forget everything else. If you say to him, right, Dwight McNeil, this is your new target from, you know, every time you get the ball on the, on the left-hand side or from set pieces, I think it's a great addition. And I also think, yeah, I remember what I said earlier, he's a better player than Chris Wood. And the fact status thing is a complication, yes, but we talked earlier in reference to, to West Ham about a little bit of a jolt. I think he does exactly that for Burnley. I think you've got a squad who... As a result of having so many games called off or calling so many games off, you now have quite an intimidating fixture pile. I think they've only played 18 times this season, which is two less than anybody in the division and about six fewer than, than, than most others. I think if you add a player of that size and of that status and also, you know, you, you're going to get Cornet back at some point as well. He's an excellent player, by the way. I think he's already shown that. All of a sudden, you have a little bit of a, a kind of a rejuvenation, a refreshing, and that's really what you need in this situation. So, forgetting all of his kind of technical merits, which there are plenty of them, and I think people will really, I think people will really like watching him. He's very entertaining. He's a bit of a spectacle as a player. Yeah, he'll do very, very well, I think. So they've done well. I, I have to say, I, I'm a little bit, and no disrespect to Burnley, I'm a little bit surprised they got a clean run at him, just because it wasn't a lot of money and. If we're kind of if we were looking at this in sort of, you know, nineteen nineties parlance, he's a cracking plan B for someone to have. If you you know, if you just want to sort of um you know, in the same way that Spurs used to have Fernando Lorente to come off the bench. Kind of similar. He's not as good a player as Lorente was, but it's strange that he was just right, you can you can have him because he would have I mean, he would have worked at Arsenal, I think, potentially. Not as a full time for the next five year option, but as a kind of a here's your uh, here's your battering ram potentially. So, um, yeah, good deal. And, um, yeah, exactly what they needed. Exactly what they I, needed. I absolutely love the footballing term, by the way, unit. He's <laughs> never better term in football than unit. I love it. I, I just really, you know what, Crossy, also I love a centre-half that you know that defenders don't want to play against. And he is yeah. that to a T. He is awkward well, well. and horrible and jabby and he's all elbows and angles and competitive, never gives anyone a, a minute's rest. But he can also finish. You can also finish and link the play. So quite a package for, for Burnley to have that. Yeah, a new, a new ride on the, th- on the Turf Moor theme park. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, you know, you mentioned Arsenal there. Across, you know, just um, tangential this a little bit, but Rangers have signed Aaron Ramsey on loan from Juventus, who seemed to be swallowing his £4 million wages between now and June. Is that a good deal for all concerned? Because I suppose a bit like Gareth Bale... Ramsey is going to define himself by what he does to get Wales to the World Cup, isn't he? He is, and he needs this platform, I guess. Look, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I, I, I thought there'd be a queue of Premier League clubs around the block to get Aaron Ramsey, just because of what he can offer. Listen, he's had injury issues in, in, 
Italy. He went there on an amazing contract. What a, what an opportunity and what an experience for him. And you know, when he's played for Wales, he's 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 looked better for it, frankly, in my view. But he has, you know, he hasn't always had opportunities. And now Juve made it clear: look, you need to go, and you basically you, you've you know you've got this opportunity. And once they'd opened that door and gone so public. I thought there'd be absolutely a huge number of clubs. And listen, there was Premier League interest. Of course there was. And Burnley's was very real, by the way. But he's clearly thought, mm, that's not that's not for me. And and I just think Rangers is a big opportunity for him because I think that if he can get himself right and in the zone and ready and fit and playing each week, he will score an absolute bucket load of goals. He will be a huge addition for Scottish football and I think an exciting one and a major lift for, for Rangers in their quest to be you know champions again and I, I think it's an exciting one for him I, I you know it's it's I, I just find it amazing that, that basically serious clubs weren't knocking down the door and saying Ram, Ramsey you know come to us but as a result you know that, that they're I think you know, misjudgment has has been good fortune for Rangers. I think it's a really interesting sign, and I think it will really capture the imagination also at Rangers. Good How about West, West Ham? Like, John yeah, great show. Clubs that could have you know gone in for him, he'd have been a great West Ham player. Like, he what a boost that would have given to like some of those attacking players to add him there as well. I'm I'm really excited to see him play for Rangers. It's like um, it's like Gaza signing for them. Back in the 90s, isn't it? That's the second 90s reference I've made in like five minutes, which ages me. But you know what I'm saying? It's like it, it's it's a it's a it's a real throwback sign to the days when Rangers could 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 attract players like that. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I suppose there's no argument about the feel-good story of the window. Christian Eriksen to Brentford on a six-month loan. From a football point of view, Seb, do you think that'll work? Uh ooh. Um... I don't know, Mike. I, I I don't know enough about the medical situation. I don't know enough about what it is as a football player to have an event like that in your life and then go back to playing the game. I don't know whether you can trust your body. I, I don't know. All I, all I say is I'm just so pleased to see. I'd love to see him play football again. I remember being with um, some of my work colleagues who really are friends, I suppose, when what happened happened. And uh, as someone that watched him a lot and... You know, did mix zones with him and and had that kind of weird sort of, I don't know, kind of journalistic relationship with with him in that sort of minor way. It broke my heart. It was just awful. It was it I, I it was it was one of the worst things I've ever seen because I, well, we you, you thought you were watching him die. It was uh, yeah. It, it it just it's it's a very harrowing memory for a lot of people and uh, you know seeing how upset his wife was and his teammates. The whole thing is just awful. But but. To see him over the over the the January transfer window, I saw some of the footage of him training again with Ajax, and it was just it was just lovely, and uh, it's such a nice ending to this story that he can. I mean, what a what a what a, what an achievement though if he does play, to to suffer to suffer a heart attack, to suffer a cardiac arrest, and to play again within a year at the very highest level. And he's a he's a lovely guy as well. I, he's a fabulous mm. talented player, of course he is, but uh, he's a you know, a, a really decent human being with a young family and he's come back to, to, to where he wants to be. And I just think it could be such a great story. I don't know. I, I almost, um, I know it's a, I haven't answered your question, but that's really because it's it's so beside the point. 
Like if he mm. comes on and all he does is take a few free kicks and corners, I think it's a great story. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a Brentford fan would have a different perspective on it, but I don't really care what his statistics are. Or I just, you know, just it's, it's a great ending to something which in the moment was just terrible. So, you know, just all the best to him, basically, I think. Yeah, probably too early for him to play in the FA Cup at Everton, John, do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's even even in consideration simply because I don't think the club are making it pretty clear that he won't report up for duties to train until next week. I think that's partly due to his, you know, he's recently, I think, had a second jab and basically, so that's partly partly that. And, you know, they're also, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious from Thomas Frank saying yesterday that he hasn't kind of been in a, in a sort of a match situation, you know, proper sort of kind of, you know, ma- ma- match contact, if you like, for seven months. So, you know, it's going to take time to get that fitness. I was looking at it and maybe sort of talking to a couple of people and thinking mid- mid-Feb, you know, there's a, I think there's a game sort of kind of at Arsenal, what is it, the 19th? But basically, you know, it, it, maybe that, that gives him sort of enough time. I, I just think it's a really, it, it was certainly, I thought, my, my favourite story of the window, certainly the most feel-good story about it. I did take time out of my busy <laughs> transfer uh, window day <laughs> yesterday to, to actually speak to Fabrice Wamber. And basically, you know, Fabrice is really such a nice guy. And, you know, listen, he, he wished him all the best, all, all the luck in the world. But he clearly has a few concerns about it, about safety, about health and... You know, we'd be naive, you know, not to think, oh, you know, I hope this goes well and what what will happen. And, you know, it, other players clearly play, you know, with monitors, with, with guidance and the best safety issues. You know, David Blinn being a sort of a great example of that. But Ericsson was always an incredibly high-tempo player playing in a very high-tempo team. And... You know, I just hope that he comes back and, and and does well. But rather like Seb, I think it's, I think it's fantastic just to see him back on you know potentially the pitch and let's see how it goes. Now it's only a short term deal until the summer. He's made it very clear he wants to play in the World Cup. What a fantastic target to have! You know, I'd love to see him in the Denmark squad for twenty twenty two. You know, it'd be amazing, and that would be I think my favourite story of the whole year. Yep. I think a lot of people will agree with that, um, and it does sound a bit trite to to you know end this by talking about football again. FA Cup, Seb. Any particular shocks that you can envisage? Chris Wilder and Middlesbrough will probably get Man United the game on Friday. Will a bad week for West Ham get worse at Kidderminster? Bournemouth, who seem to have bought an entire squad in the last twenty four hours, you know, playing Boreham Wood. When you look around, what do you see? Yeah, I was going to talk about uh, that Middlesbrough game, actually, just because I really like what Chris Wilder's managed to do there. I think everybody who's followed Chris Wilder's career over the last couple of years could have seen that coming a mile away. But I, I, that's the last game I want if I'm Manchester United, really, because that's the kind of the very definition of an FA Cup banana skin. I just had um, the Bournemouth thing is interesting. I, I expect they'll go through, Mike, but the uh, whenever you make that number of changes in the middle of a season, I've, I always... I don't know what it's like to be a professional footballer, but if I was one and I was playing a side which is successful and I saw that level of um, recruitment, how do I take that? Like, is it is it as a kind of, oh, these are welcome reinforcements and that's good? Or is it, am I taking that as an indictment of where I am and what I'm capable of? I, I always, I've always, I've always thought that. it's not aimed at Bournemouth. 
it's just a it's just a strange one. I think they'll get through, but it's um, I'm interested in what Bournemouth looked like for the next couple of weeks beyond the FA Cup too. So it's uh, that, that that's still one to watch regardless. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of the cup, John. What are you looking out for? <laughs> yeah, I am really. Um, I'm looking out for for the classic giant killer, and the, the, the generally the giant killer has to be at home, right? And basically, so you've got the you know, Kidderminster. Can they do? Can they do it again? That's that. That's the one, isn't it? And frankly, I have to say, it's it's a strange. You know, the third round presented some good good stories obviously Cambridge being you know the classic and I guess we shouldn't then write off teams going away from home to win but I you know that that was the story of the round for me I thought that was you know that was that was that was fabulous you know Forrest knocking out Arsenal you know on the Sunday spread it because you know the, the cup the, the cup weekend this weekend is spread over the whole weekend and I'm not a huge fan of that because I think that dilutes the the glory and the magic of that, because I think you know we we weren't actually left in the third round with that many that many Saturday three o'clocks really, and it's again it feels a little bit spread out, not quite as much in fairness I don't think actually, but I do think that basically Kidderminster is 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 arguably the the one you know that, that a lot of people will watch out for because I just think that the chances of of that level and then against the sort of the, the the Premier League big boys, Chelsea, Plymouth. What team will Chelsea put out? It's quite interesting, but it's you know, and and then you know the other. The, I, I personally, I'm not a massive fan of the all Premier League ties, but you know, Tottenham, Brighton That's should be game. quite interesting. It's a good, game, a good game, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think if you are going to select one, then then go for that because I do think it's quite a lot of fun to watch Brighton under Graham Potter and um, uh, and equally. You know, Spurs, I think they'll have motivation. I think Conte will have big motivation to, to go far and try and do something in the domestic cup this season. So I think it's quite an interesting fourth round. I, I wish there were just a couple more lower teams entertaining the big boys and that because that's what I always look for. And then basically there's a couple of eye-catching ones, but not, not enough. I, I love a giant killing me. <laughs> well, the, you know, the cup's essentially about the power of dreams and I'm trying to link this back to the transfers which we've been talking about you know for the last uh, 50 odd minutes look I know this one was a publicity stunt but Roberto Carlos yeah that Roberto Carlos world cup winner scorer of that free kick owner of thighs like tree trunks he's signed to play a single game for a pub team in the Shrewsbury and District League the ball in the barn won him in a raffle. So the left-back who won the Champions League three times with Real Madrid will be playing on a pitch next to the Village Hall. He's 48. But isn't age just a number? I suspect I'm not the only one who hopes so. In the meantime, uh, thanks to John and Seb for their insight. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 